Good morning. I did it again. I changed my title at the last minute. <clears throat> the bulletin is wrong. The Bible app is correct. I think I have a problem. <laughs> Every single one of us is either living by our own strength or we are living by the power of the Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. That might change from day to day, of course, but the categories still hold true. Scripture refers to this as living according to the flesh or living according to the Spirit. If you have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, then you are living according to the flesh. And flesh can sometimes mean sinfulness, but that's not what it means at its core. It's not what it means in this passage today. It means our being, our, our physical embodiment, who we are, our strength, our flesh. If you have come to faith in Christ, you probably struggle between flesh and spirit from day to day or sometimes in the same day. It can be a bit of a battle, honestly. But God has made us for more than simply living according to our own flesh, our own strength. And if we come to God... God will teach us how to live according to the Spirit. And that brings us to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is somebody. In reality, of course, he's not more important than anyone else. None of us is. But in the eyes of Jewish society in the first century, and in his own eyes, Nicodemus matters. He's one of the elite. He was born in the right family. He was educated well. He rose to a place of prominence as a Pharisee, a respected and revered religious leader in the community. He was a cut above all the rest. The word Pharisee means literally to separate, to separate. He was one of those who was separate, set apart from Gentiles, from other religious sects, from irreligious people, and then in terms of ritual purity. He was a separate one. This was his identity, and my guess is he liked that identity very much. He was living according to his flesh. Now again, this is, this is not about sinfulness. Nicodemus loved God, but he did not have the presence, the resource of the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. But something has caused him to have an identity crisis. Someone, actually. So Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night when, when his colleagues, those who most respect him, will not see him. Jesus has been performing miracles, and Nicodemus has concluded that no one could do these things that Jesus is doing if God were not with him. We could say if God were not Emmanuel, God with us, in him. The last couple of verses from John chapter 2, right after Jesus has cleared the temple, we looked at it last week, cleared the temple of money changers and vendors. John writes of a group of people who are enamored with the signs, the miracles that Jesus is performing John 2, verses 23 to 25. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Nicodemus is a part of this group of many people who have come to believe in Jesus' name because of the miracles they have seen. But that's not enough for Jesus, as we'll soon see. It's all fine and good if the signs, if the miracles open the door, but you still have to walk through the door of faith. It's not enough simply to believe in Jesus because of the signs. And this sounds strange to us, I think. At least it does to me. 
You'd think that no matter how people came to Jesus, he would be fine with it. But Jesus is not just about people who believe in his name because of the miracles. He's, he's after something else, and we see that at play in this conversation, this interaction with Nicodemus. I have concluded that Nicodemus is not as dim-witted as some of us may have been led to believe, if that's what we learned in Sunday school and so forth. I just don't think he is. I, I don't think he literally thinks that what Jesus is saying is that we can be biologically, physically reborn. I think he's simply sticking with the metaphor that Jesus is using, and he's going with it, and he's asking another question. He's saying, look, as badly as we may want to start over, we can't. We can't erase a lifetime of mistakes and sins and just be reborn. It's not all that different from when God, through Jeremiah, in chapter 13 of Jeremiah, verse 23, God asked the people of Judah, can a leopard change its spots? And then he answers, neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. People don't change. But Jesus says we can change. Jesus says we can change. And the secret to changing, the key to our transformation is to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit and to see and to enter into the kingdom of God. If we want to change, if we want to be transformed, the secret, the key is to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit and to see and enter into the kingdom of God. After Nicodemus asked Jesus if to be born again means we must re-enter the womb and start all over, verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Initially, Jesus stated more severely, I suppose, that if we are not born again from above, the word can mean both, born again, born from above, We cannot even see the kingdom of God. And now he says we cannot enter it. To enter God's kingdom, we must be born of water and of the Spirit. So, Jesus says to Nicodemus, it is possible to change. It is possible. It is possible to be reborn. It is possible to start over. And I wonder, I wonder as I think about Nicodemus, if that's really the question inside about himself. I wonder if I can change. And Jesus says you can. It happens when we are born of water and the Spirit. Now some have said, for all I know, I said this once upon a time, I don't remember, that when Jesus is referring to being born of water, he means natural childbirth. But that really doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems to be stating the obvious a little bit too much. It's totally unnecessarily, unnecessary to tell people that they need to be born as a human being in order to enter the kingdom because, one, they have no control over whether they're born or not, and two, they already have been born by the fact that they're alive and standing there. So it makes no sense. And so for that reason, I think Jesus is referring to water baptism. But we need to keep in mind that up until that time, the water baptism with which most people would have been familiar was the baptism of John the Baptist and similar Jewish rites. We're even told in just a few chapters later that The disciples were baptizing, probably similar to John's baptism. John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of ritual cleansing. It was, as Scripture refers to it, a baptism of repentance. And Jesus, I think, is saying it's not enough to see, John's baptism is not enough to see the kingdom of God, let alone enter it. Once Jesus has died, has been raised from the dead and ascended, however, a new baptism is possible, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
In Mark chapter 1, verse 8, John the Baptist tells of the one who will come after him. He says this of Jesus, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. After Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, the Apostle Paul runs into some people in the city of Ephesus, and they say they're disciples, but it's almost like Paul recognizes there's something about them that's just not right. So he asks them, Acts chapter 19, verse 2, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. Paul then baptized them in the name of Jesus, laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them powerfully. And all of this finds its genesis, finds its grounding in a brief passage from the prophet Ezekiel. There God says to the people who have been exiled from the promised land, and his name is Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, which you'll see in just a minute. He says, verse 24 of chapter 36, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. Bring them back from exile. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What does it mean to be born again, born from above? It means to be baptized in the name of Jesus, first and foremost, and to respond to and to yield to the indwelling Holy Spirit, to be filled, to be transformed, to be led, to be empowered by the Spirit of God. Jesus continues to explain all this to Nicodemus back in John 3, verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. To be born of water and the Spirit is to be cleansed and to have the very Spirit of God residing with us, within us, renewing us, and empowering us. When that happens, we no longer have to live according to the flesh by our own strength. Now our very lives can overflow with the joy and the grace and the mercy and the justice and the righteousness and the peace and the patience and the self-control. The very life of God. Our lives will be like the wind. The wind that blows through the leaves you can hear it. The wind that whistles through our streets, you can hear it. You know the wind is there, you can't see it. People will know the Spirit is presence by the way we live our lives. The Spirit will overflow into the world. Friends like you, I long for our church to reach people with the good news of Jesus. I long for us to disciple them so that they can flourish in the kingdom. I long to see God's kingdom come and God's will be done in the world, in our community, as it is in heaven. I long to see this congregation grow. I want to see this place packed out. But make no mistake, if ECC is to have any kingdom impact in our world, it will not be because we do something that is great. It will be because we become something that is beautiful. If we are going to have 
any impact in our world. It will not be because we do something that is great. It will be because we become something that is beautiful. We, because our very identity has changed. It will be because we are learning to live by the Spirit of God. Nicodemus is not ready to make a decision, is he? He's not, he's not ready to let go of his identity. He disappears from the conversation after verse 9, in fact. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, I had a, a great conversation with our men's retreat speaker, Chris Kreutzen. He and I were talking, and as we, as we talked, as I listened to him, I, I realized that literally he's talking to me, and I'm going, oh, I need to change something about the sermon it's his fault I changed the title of the sermon, to be honest. Um, and, and, and as we spoke, he spoke about what it means to be born again, not knowing what my passage was. And he said the key to our transformation is to find our identity in Christ. To know and find our identity in Christ first and foremost. Becoming clear, becoming at home in our identity in Christ is, is how we are transformed. It is how we bear witness to the good news of Jesus in the world. Nicodemus knew that if he were to change directions and follow Jesus, he would likely have to give up a good part of his identity as an esteemed Jewish religious leader. He he found himself in an identity crisis, and for the time being, that crisis was unresolved. Friends, where do you find your identity Is it in your family? Your line of work? Your bank account? The success of your children? Your political party? Your role as a husband or father or wife or mother or even the church you attend? Where do you find your identity? If we are to become Christiform people, people who have Christ formed in us and continually being formed in us, if the life of Christ is to overflow out of us and into the world, it will be because we have been born again, not just into heaven, but born again into a new and lasting identity as those who are loved by God, as those who are growing in our union with God, as those who are filled and led by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7, just a few chapters over from this, Nicodemus seems to still be working it all out, but he has made progress. Whereas in chapter 3, he comes at night to Jesus, perhaps to hide. In chapter 7, he speaks up in defense of Jesus when his colleagues, other religious leaders, want the temple guards to go and bring Jesus into custody. After the Pharisees have gone on a rant about the uneducated mob that is following Jesus, Verse 50, Nicodemus says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Nicodemus steps to the plate. He risks something. He is discovering who Jesus is and who he is, and it is transforming him from one who hid under cover of darkness to one who who speaks up when the odds are against him. And then in chapter 19 of John, right toward the end, it is Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who take Jesus' body down from the cross to bury him. It is Nicodemus who brings 75 pounds 
of spices and oils, and the two of them wrap Jesus' body in the spices and the cloths. They lay his body in the tomb. He who once came to Jesus at night has seen the light. He who once stood outside of the kingdom has now entered into the kingdom. He has indeed been born again from above. He has stepped fully into his true identity as a child of God. He has been able to start over after all. I want to read the last section. We're not going to get to all that's in these 21 verses today. That'll take another sermon some other time. But I want to skip down to the last section of our passage today, and I just want to read it without commentary. And as I read it, I want to invite you to listen. Close your eyes if you want to. Listen for the invitation, rather than only picking up on the words like uh, judgment or condemnation or perish. Listen for the words in this uh, section that speak of the hope and the possibility of new life and the invitation. John three sixteen through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. God so loved the world. The word there is actually cosmos. God so loved the cosmos that he gave his one and only son. God did not send his son into the world to judge or condemn the world, but to save the world, to redeem the world. And while there are certainly consequences for those who refuse the saving work of God. John's plea here is to accept and to respond to the invitation to step into the kingdom, to be born of water and the Spirit, and to live the life for, the life for which you were created in the here and now, not just in the hereafter. Life filled with the Holy Spirit. Life led by the Holy Spirit. Life born of the Holy Spirit. The invitation is to respond to the Spirit of God who is in our midst even now. For some of us, that may well be an invitation to respond to the light and life of Jesus for the very first time. We may be Nicodemus. Maybe up until now, we've not found what we need to take the step of faith that Nicodemus was apparently only able to take much later in the story. Maybe we've been living in our own strength. And if that is you, if you have never come to that place of faith in Christ, I invite you to take that step. Is Jesus someone you want to give your life to? Is Jesus someone you can pledge allegiance to in terms of your life and your priorities? That's the kind of faith, that's the kind of belief Jesus is after. Not some mental, simple mental assent. It's, it's costly. 
It requires something of us. It doesn't have to be a fully formed belief, and it certainly does not have to be a perfectly lived belief. But it does take intentionality. It does take intentionality. And if you are ready to step out and to learn what it means to follow Jesus, do not do what Nicodemus does in the passage today. Do not fade into the background and wait till a later date. For others of us, it may be that we have come to the realization that while we have entered the kingdom of God, we may have known Jesus for decades. We, our names are written in the book of life. We have been baptized. Our eternal destiny is not in question. There is, however, we realize, not much work of the Spirit in our lives. We don't have the power that we need to live. We don't see the Spirit at work in our lives, and our relationships. We're in that, in that identity crisis that is the tension between living according to the flesh and living according to the Spirit. A large part of my early spiritual journey took place in more charismatic churches where we often heard about the virtue and the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that, that term, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, pops up twice in the pages of Scripture. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and in chapter 11, verse 16. But the concept, the phrase only occurs in those two places as it stands, but the concept of the Spirit coming upon people, filling people, and doing mighty things is all over the New Testament. Charismatic and Pentecostal churches will often refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a second blessing that any of us can experience. And I have personally had that experience years ago. But once again, God has even more planned for us. The commands and the teaching of the New Testament indicate that being filled with the Spirit is an everyday possibility in the life of the believer. Being filled with the Spirit is an everyday possibility in the life of the believer. Being filled over and over again, the Spirit dwells within us when we come to faith in Jesus. And from that point on, praying for and seeking after the filling of the Spirit can be for us a daily part of life. Just one example from the New Testament will suffice. In Ephesians 5.18, the Apostle Paul exhorts us, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What is missed in every single English translation that I checked, however, is that Paul more literally says, Keep being filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. Not once, not twice, but continuously seek be filled with God's Spirit. How do, we, how do we do this? We ask, we trust, and we yield. We ask, we trust, and we yield. It's, it's not always about feeling something. It's about trusting that God wants to fill us with the Spirit. And if we ask, God will grant our request. Jesus says so. Luke eleven seventeen. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We ask, we trust, and we yield. I invite the worship team to come up. Speaking of yielding, several years ago we uh, we designed this process of some spiritual practices that are outlined by the letters in the word yield say yes to god invite the spirit to speak engage with the word of god listen to the spirit depend on god's spirit 
Some of you have this, but if you uh, would like a copy of it, I, there's a limited number of them out at the welcome counter. I'd love for you to pick one up and maybe engage in these practices. If you want a PDF, if you're online or even in the room, you want a PDF, you email us and we'll be glad to send you something like that as well. There are two ways to live. We can live by our own flesh in our own way and we can settle for less than the abundant life that Jesus has for us. Or we can live by the Spirit. We can live in communion with God and we can be alive with the life of God. We can be content sitting in the pew or joining us online once a week. We can. But God has so much more for us. God has so much more. So let's close this morning with a time of silence as we wait on the Spirit to lead and and speak to us. And uh, we're going to have that silence, and then after that, if you are someone in the room or online who has never taken that step of faith to commit your life to Christ, then I just invite you to Repeat after me silently the prayer that I'm going to pray. And then after that, I'm going to pray a prayer for all of us that we will be filled with the Spirit, that we will discover or rediscover the the presence and the power of the Spirit who dwells within us. Would you join with me in just a moment of silence, then I will lead us in prayer. Quiet your heart. Breathe slowly. Become aware of God's presence in this place. God's presence in you. If you have never made a commitment to Christ and you want to do that today, you want to begin... I invite you just to repeat after me from your own heart. Good and gracious God, I am tired. I've tried to do this on my own. I've ignored you. Maybe I've walked away from you. Maybe I've just been content with being religious. I long for your grace. I long for your mercy. I long for your forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me of all the sin, known and unknown, that I have committed. Cleanse me. Renew me, fill me with your spirit, and enable me to follow you faithfully. Rebirth me into your kingdom, I pray, and show me the way. And now, God, for all of us, wherever we may be, God, we we depend on your Holy Spirit. Forgive us when we seek to do things in the flesh and our own strength. Forgive us when we forget the gift that you have given us to empower us, to lead us, to speak to us, Lord. Forgive us when we do not listen. God, I pray that you would begin right now in this moment to fill us all with your Spirit, to send your Spirit upon us and to re-baptize us 
and to empower us for all that you have for us personally, relationally, as a congregation, and in terms of mission, that you would receive all the glory and the honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.